Counter the latest internet sensation. He might be going to go down as a Hall of Fame fighter. So exciting. Is this dinner too tacky for the Donald? These babies are triple M. This is a magnificent specimen of mankind. Can I say hi? Good morning, Zeb, and good morning to all your listeners. Hi! Weekend Breakfast with Seb Costello on Triple M. Yes, we are back. At least somebody's excited about it. I've been overseas telling you everything I know about the National Basketball Association. He was trying to make his statement, and I, I just wasn't having it. I was doing my best, mate. All right, relax. Apparently, the Victorian Parliament didn't like it either. Not a good look. The chair is not impressed. Well, you can get stuffed. Big program coming up for the Eagle Ridge Golf Club. Good news. The Eagle Ridge Golf and Pie offer is back. Check it out, eagleridge.com.au. And if you never heard the word Brexit until yesterday, we're going to tell you exactly what it means and why it means your UK holidays have gotten cheaper. And we are giving the music a bit of a refresh here at Triple M. We'll play songs that you haven't heard for quite a while. Yes, there's one from the vault. We haven't heard that for weeks, have we? Well done to the Magpies, though. Good win by the club last night, defeating the Fremantle Dockers. The scoreline, 12-13-85 to the Dockers. 5-7-37, a 48-point win to the Pies. And Travis Cloak getting amongst it, as you heard in the news with Gunners. Two goals, two to Cloakie as this round continues. Hyven, you were telling me, though, that this is a round for the favourites. Is that right? It, it is, it is. Um, our betting man, Nick Quinn from TAB, told us $1.40 for the four-leg multi this weekend. So if you think every favourite from this weekend, you'll get $1.40, which is almost unheard of. Are they riding off the Saints? Riding off the Saints. Upset. Yeah, Eddie riding Ed's off. Stadium tonight. Brisbane riding off, riding off against Richmond. Yes. And then you've got Geelong and St Kilda tonight. Mm. And uh, Hawthorne and Gold Coast. What about, though, the Giants at home? They'll do, will they, will they maybe just slip up and allow the Blues to march in there? Wouldn't have thought so. All right, fair no. enough. In the 20th century, the sporting landscape was indeed a wide world. But with the advent of the interweb communication and global overpopulation, the sporting universe is bigger than ever. And champions beyond the traditional games deserve their recognition. Presenting the Weekend Breakfast's Glittering Galaxy of Sport. And don't the kids love it? They certainly do. And the man sitting to my left at the moment is built like the proverbial Mack truck. His name is Scott Goebel, and he is one of Victoria's finest bodybuilders. Morning, Scott. Good morning, Seb. Mate, why do you get into bodybuilding? Uh, that's a good question. I think like most people, I, I was playing other sports at the time, and you use a little bit of weight training to supplement those sports and build a little bit of size. And before you know it, you enjoy the weight training and the benefits that come with it more than the actual sport you started with. So just carried on down to the bodybuilding path. And you have since competed in these competitions. How do you actually win a bodybuilding competition? Bodybuilding's a, a strange one because it's ultimately judged by a, a panel of judges uh, and they decide that you have the best physique on stage. And that the best physique is determined by a criteria that includes size, symmetry, conditioning, and uh, a number of other factors, presentation as well. And what does it take? How often are you training to get ready for a competition like that? Look, when I'm getting ready for a competition, I would be training six days a week and twice a day. Uh, each session lasting about an hour and a half, a combination of weight training and cardio. But you're really preparing for a competition year-round. You're either spending a phase where you're trying to build as much muscle as possible or you're in a phase where you're trying to lean down and take all the body fat away and display that physique on stage. Now, that doesn't sound like much fun. That, surely that's where the food gets cut down and you're working a little harder. 
That's exactly right, Seb. That that is the hard part. Do you get a bit narky when you're in that phase? You do get a little bit narky. <laughs> a lot of things take place. You know, yeah. there's physiological things which affect you psychologically. The, the body's got all sorts of checks and measures. It does not want to get down to three or four percent body fat, and it Oof. fights it every every step of the way. Oh, so. well, my body is winning that fight at the moment to not get down to three to four percent body fat. I can tell you that. Man, I, I feel like I'm seeing a lot more interest in bodybuilding. We've got the Arnold Classic that goes every year, Grand Prix weekend. A lot of people online with you know YouTube videos and what have you. Have you felt that? Absolutely, yeah. It's a growing sport and they've expanded bodybuilding now to include other divisions. So more physique divisions, uh, divisions which are probably appealing to the everyday person because sometimes the bodybuilding is a bit of an extreme look. It can be. Now, mate, take us through it because we are all fascinated by this. When you are looking to grow, how much are you eating and how often? Look, it's a very individual thing. Myself, right. I, I mean, I have pushed my calories up to 6,000 calories a day. Which, right, and that's that's three times the recommended, is that right? That's about three times the yeah. recommended, but for a bloke my size, it's not that exceptional. How there, much do you weigh? Uh, at the moment, I'm hanging around the low 120s, 120 kilos. The low, and if I can just paint the picture here, Scotty is uh, probably close to uh, a metre and a half wide. How tall are you? I'm uh, just over six foot. Yeah, he's just over six foot. He's got uh, arms that are a little wider than the chairs we have here in the studio and uh, is uh, is a reasonably impressive looking man. So to go back to the diet. Yes, uh, it's largely protein. So you'd be eating as a general rule six times a day. Each meal would contain a good portion of protein. So, you know, what uh, the everyday person would sit down for for dinner, you know, a big steak or some chicken or something like that. I would eat that six times a day. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And do you ever get sick of that? I never get sick of it. Eating is not a problem for me. I, I can always put the food away. The dieting, on the other hand, that I'll get sick of. Now, look, when I go to the gym, and I know when Hyphen goes to the gym, there's a tendency for us to do biceps and chest, and then we're done with it. That's really all we need uh, for the beach sort of look. Is there a body part that you really hate training? Uh, there's not really a body part that I hate training. Yep. I think you have to learn to love training every body part, because right. if, you, if you do hate it, it, it will show up ultimately on stage. Because the abs is always tough. Yeah, the abs are tough. The calves aren't much fun either. Oh, yeah, the big yeah. sort of raises that you got to do. Yeah. yeah, we don't like that. We're talking to Scott Goebel, who is a bodybuilder, one of Victoria's finest. You can get him on Facebook, Scott Goebel Bodybuilder. You run a supplement store. I've asked you a question that I found quite interesting off air as to whether all the publicity around the Essendon saga was a good thing for business as somebody who sold supplements or a bad thing. How did you find it? Uh, it was interesting because I am right around the Essendon area in Mooney Ponds. And it was, uh, it, uh, yeah, strange time. We got asked for a lot of peptides. Right, yeah. Uh, yeah, a lot of young blokes were very interested in the AOD and the and the CJCs yep. and thymosin and things like that, uh, which I unfortunately couldn't supply. But yeah. <laughs> uh, I, I think it, it brought a lot of awareness. At first, there was um, a trepidation uh, yep. with the supplement industry. But there are a lot of supplements which you can legally sell over the counter that do contain banned substances. Right. And it, it's always a great fear of mine. I never want to sell one of those supplements to a young up-and-coming footy player and yep. getting banned. So it, I think it's just brought a lot of awareness of, of what you can and can't take. And I, I think ultimately that's a good thing. And is that something you've got to get your head around as an operator as to you know what advice you can give people who might be competing? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. It is. And, and I always tell them uh, just as a general rule, steer clear of the fat burners and pre-workouts. Right. They're, they're the things that contain the stimulants that will return a positive test. Uh, not in all cases, but as a general rule, uh, a lot of them do contain that. So the protein powders, the creatines, the amino acids, they're all fine. And mate, have you ever, ever met some of those big sort of Mr. Universe type blokes? Yeah, I've met them all. I uh, train out at Doherty's Gym in Brunswick, yeah. and uh, they've all come through there. So it, every one of them, Arnold, Ronnie, the, the works, the best of the best. How yeah. did you find Arnold? 
Arnold has a presence about him. Does he? he yeah, he's yeah. got a, just a charisma, and wherever he goes, people follow. Uh, he was just—he was very businesslike in meeting right. me. He shook my hand and said hello and moved on right. to the, the next hand. Did you say something to him? Uh, I told him he was the reason I got into bodybuilding, yeah, yeah. And, and he was a massive component of it. And I had the Arnold Bodybuilding Encyclopedia and yes. all that sort of stuff. Um, but uh, that, that was about it. Yeah, Arnold yeah. was moving on pretty fast. Oh well, mate, it's still cool to have met the great man yeah. who was. Uh, I mean, I just marvel at the success across the three careers when it comes to Arnie. You know, the bodybuilding, the acting, politics, it is an incredible life. It is an amazing life. And I think he's the inspiration for a lot of bodybuilders uh, that think they can get into movies, but they they, they, they probably don't realise exactly what it takes. I don't know, mate. I'm looking forward to seeing some of your efforts on the silver screen. Scott Goebel, bodybuilder, where is your supplement store if people want to check it out? Uh, 131 Puckle Street, Mooney Ponds. Ah, yes. We love Puckle Street down there. And you do a bit of work uh, with the Max's Nutrition too, who is a uh, fine company for people looking to get into that protein, bodybuilding, working out sort of area. Nice to chat, Scotty. Thank you, Seb. Now, Brexit, a name that you've probably heard many, many times over the past 24 hours. Essentially, the United Kingdom held a referendum and they were asked whether they want to leave the European Union or whether they want to stay. And in what was a surprise for some people, the leave vote came out on top 52-48. The UK has voted to leave the European Union. It's a victory for ordinary people, decent people. It's a victory against the big merchant banks, against the big businesses, and against big politics. Now, there you go. That man is Nigel Farage, who ran the Leave campaign and was ultimately successful. Joining us is a man who has worked in British politics over there in the UK, also followed this pretty closely as the Liberal member for Q in the Victorian Parliament. Morning, Tim Smith. Morning, Seb. How are you? Now, was this a surprise for people? Well... The commentariat seemed very surprised, but um, a lot of people I was speaking to in England, I was in England last week, um, and a lot of people I was speaking to, and personally, I wasn't surprised at all. Why do you think they voted the way they did? Largely around immigration. Um, uh, your listeners might not be aware, but as a member of the European Union, you don't get control over your own country's immigration system. That's de- that is decided in Brussels. And I think a lot of um, British voters felt very concerned about out-of-control immigration and wanted to take back control. 52.48 was the ultimate margin, and one of the responses was a big drop in the value of the pound. Now, what's this going to mean for the world economy? Well, for the world, it's still too early to tell, to be honest. The pound has dropped to its lowest level since 1985. Um, It's great news for Australian travellers. And why is that? Uh, buy pounds and go to England uh, would be my advice. It'll yeah. be the tri- cheapest trip you've had to the UK uh, since the mid-80s. Is that right? So if we want to go watch Nick Kyrgios play at Wimbledon this year, it isn't going to cost go. us as much. Correct. Go. Get over buy, there. Book the tickets. Buy pounds now and go. If only he was a good bloke. <laughs> That's a shame. Right. Okay. So, I mean, but is this going to be bad economically for the UK? Well, well that, that's the uh, million-dollar question. Right. Um, they will now have to renegotiate 28, 27 different free trade agreements with the member states of the European Union. Uh, that will be very difficult. Uh, the Canadians have spent about 15 years trying to get a free trade agreement with the European Union. We still don't have one. Um, but equally, it could be good news. They will be hopefully having a free trade agreement with countries like Australia, uh, with New Zealand, um, and with the Commonwealth. So it could be a double-edged sword. Whilst, yes, Britain is leaving Europe, it will now refocus on the Asia-Pacific, 
um, and our part of the world, which could be great news for us. So what that could mean, easier entrance for Australians travelling to the UK? Potentially. Potentially you will not find a European citizens walking through the fast-track queue now at Heathrow. Uh, that could mean preferential deals for countries in the old Commonwealth, like Australia and New Zealand and Canada. Uh, it's too early to tell. The Brits probably have two years to sort all this stuff out before they um, bring about a full exit from the United Kingdom under Clause 50 of the, uh, the various different treaties. So um, two years to work it out, but fingers crossed that Australia gets a really good deal out of this. And one last one. We're talking about the Brexit decision yesterday, the UK leaving the European Union. It's cost David Cameron, the Prime Minister, his job. He says he's resigning in three months, and a lot of speculation now that Boris Johnson, who you'd remember as the colourful mayor of London during the Olympics four years ago, he sort of got almost the Donald Trump-esque hairstyle, except he's a little bit more blonde. Could he be the next Prime Minister? Uh, reading the British press this morning, um, he's the hot favourite. Um, and speaking to mates of mine in the Conservative Party overnight, uh, they're all thinking that he's it. Um, there's quite a long process to elect the leader, unlike uh, the coalition here, which is just the party room over there. All the party members get a vote directly. So it's a three-month process. It'll take some time. But yeah, my money's on Boris. Prime Minister Boris, President Trump, these are interesting times we could potentially live in. Indeed they are. Tim <laughs> Smith, the Liberal member for Q, thank you for explaining Thanks. that to us. Thanks, Seb. Good on you. We like to give a pat on the back to people who are doing pretty cool SH1T, and one such man is Damien Ryder, and he's been doing this for quite a long time, coming up with pretty impressive events of physical endurance, all for a good cause. We welcome him on the line from Illinois in the United States, and Damien, tell us what your latest endeavour is all about. Okay, so I'm uh, I'm just outside of Chicago at the moment. I've just picked up uh, an RV that we're painting up and putting logos on. And as of Monday, the 27th, this coming Monday, um, I'm going to attempt to skate from Chicago to Santa Monica along Route 66, a historical route of it, uh, in 66 days. So that's only, what, a, a lazy almost 4,000 kilometres. What are you skating on? Uh, I'm... Uh, well, Route 66 officially closed uh, June 27, 1985, so I'm riding 1985 Palparola skateboards, so just old <laughs> short boards. And uh, we're going on June 27. June 27, I mean, for me, it commemorates the end of uh, a history that most people around the world know with Route 66, you know, with the songs, and everyone sung about it and everything, so a lot of people know about it all over the world. But also, like, it's more for people to celebrate their new history. So I'm hoping that it's going to be enough of a push and an inspiration for people who, you know, maybe sitting on the lounge or feeling down or things, you know, life getting on top of them and just uh, thinking, you know what I mean, I'm going to restart my life with this guy on Route 66, you know. I like the idea, mate. You're taking on almost 4,000 kilometres on a skateboard. This is after you've previously paddled 800 k's through shark-infested waters from Gold Coast to Bondi, and earlier you've paddled around Phuket navigating from headland to headland. Is it right you nearly got lost doing that one? Yeah, uh, the first time, like, so I've paddled around Phuket twice now, but the first time I paddled around, yeah, it was, really hazy from the fires coming across from Indonesia so I could only see about 400 metres ahead of me and usually I just glide off like on the headlands and away I'll go but yeah I came around an island and for at least half an hour I couldn't see any land and just sort of had to feel my way through until I could see something just an outline of, of a headland and just started heading towards it but uh, then recently 
uh, January 3rd this year, I paddled around Phuket again and then ran around it straight after the next day. So ended up 37 and a half hours of non-stop um, feet, I guess, you know, to get around. And that was in, when, when I was running around, it was probably 38 degrees and I think about 96 humidity. So that kind of took it out of me where I, my body actually shut down. I uh, six, kilometers, six kilometers out, mate. Uh, maybe understatement of the day there. I just did exercise for thirty-seven hours, and it took a bit out of me. <laughs> yeah, well, it kind of did. But uh, <laughs> for this, I mean, for this one, you know, it's uh, this one's a special one for me. You know, I grew up skating, and it's what saved me from my child abuse that was going on at home and it was sort of my escape and I found my way back to the ocean and that's how I cleansed myself with the paddle so for me this is what the this skate's about so I'm going to skate the whole way and go through my ups and downs and the heated moments and then I'll end up at Santa Monica and I'll go for a paddle and cleanse away the uh, the 66 days. We're talking to Damien Ryder who I guess you'd call a bit of an extreme athlete his latest plan to skate on a skateboard Route 66 in the USA in 66 days. And, mate, you touched on why you did it uh, just briefly there a moment ago. This is all about uh, helping the Rider Foundation, your organisation, which I guess helps people recover from child abuse, from the post-traumatic stress disorder that comes from child abuse, because that, unfortunately, was was your experience and something you've had to deal with, wasn't it? Yeah, that's right, Um you know, and this, I just want to share the message to the people out there that there is hope and you can get past it. Uh, like I get thousands of messages from when uh, Heart of the Sea, my documentary, went out. You know, and uh, the common thing seems to be people think that you can never get past it and it's always going to be with you, but I'm living proof that you can get past it. So I'm just trying to share the tools and the message along the way and uh, just trying to help as many people as I can. Um, people can always go onto the website, which is theriderfoundation.com, um, check out where I am along the route, follow me on Facebook or message me on Facebook. I'm always happy to talk to absolutely everyone. And it's not automated and I don't have anyone doing it for me. I, uh, I answer everyone's message. So I just, uh, just want to really give back. You know, I think we're here to you know, learn from our experiences in life and then share that knowledge on to others. And I think that's how we grow as a human race. And, Everyone should sort of pull together in the community and help each other out. You know, people go through some tough times and other people don't really understand just how hard they are. You know, they might yep. smile. No, mate, you're right. It is, uh, a tough. It's a positive message and people can check it out. Nice to chat, Damien Ryder. Thanks, mate. Appreciate it. Thanks, guys. Now, Hyfe, when you get a big star on the program like this, the whole city stops. Yep. Let's be honest, Asha he is one of the big names in entertainment. Yeah, the great songs yeah, U-turn, you got it bad. I mean, you could go on and on and on with this man's catalogue. And he's a part owner of the Cleveland Cavaliers. So when we made it into the locker room back on Monday, Australian time, and were celebrating with Delhi and LeBron and these guys, they're standing on a chair in the middle of the locker room with a pair of ski goggles on, holding a bottle of champagne in one hand and pouring it down his mouth, was a short man who I didn't recognise at first, but then went over and noticed that there were lots of women lining up to get selfies with him. It then emerged that it was, in fact, Usher, who, by the way, is playing Sugar Ray Leonard in the new Roberto Duran biopic, Hands of Stone, which is coming out a bit later in the year. And I said to Usher, look, we've got the weekend breakfast down there in Melbourne. Would you mind making an appearance? And he was kind enough to do so. So here is Usher, the part owner of the Cleveland Cavaliers from the championship-winning locker room. 
if you can put it in words, what it means to be a part of this? Man, I mean, to win is always great, but to see hard work and determination and belief be uh, applied and then the reality of it turned into a championship, that's wonderful. I'm happy I could be here, man, and happy to be a part of such an amazing organization. You're one of the best in your field. Thank How you. good is LeBron and his? They are obviously the best in their field. Yeah, man. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so it wasn't the longest interview. That's it? That Well... Well, that's a highlight. We're playing the rest later. That, no, no, no. That, that's that's the whole thing. Oh. Wasn't the longest interview. 25 seconds with 10 seconds <laughs> worth of questions in it. But, Hive, have you ever interviewed somebody where they say their catchphrase at the end of it? Well, no. Well, yeah, no, man. I haven't, actually, no. Yeah, that was man. Not bad. Not now, bad. That, to get that out of him, what's your favourite Usher song? Um, yeah, that one. Yeah. 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 The, the one who, yeah. Yeah, yeah. it's great. Yeah, that's sure. Which features Little John. The only rapper that sounds like he might be a former Prime Minister of Australia. Triple M's Weekend Breakfast with Seb Costello, and this is a real thrill. One of the greats of basketball worldwide is on the phone. Multiple NBA champion, multiple Olympic gold medalist, and an absolute legend of the San Antonio Spurs. It's great to chat to the Admiral himself. G'day, David Robinson. Yeah, good morning, Seb. How you doing? Mate, I'm exceptional. I'm sure you get this question a lot, but it's probably never been more relevant than it is this week. LeBron James winning his third championship. You played alongside and against some of the greats of the game in the Charles Barkleys, the Michael Jordans, the Patrick Ewings. Where does LeBron sit now for you in that list of the greatest players to take to the hardwood? Uh, I think it definitely makes him, uh, puts him in the top four or five players. I mean, he's... Uh... What he's accomplished is, is nothing short of, uh, of remarkable. And, you know, to go to Cleveland and take that team, which really was not very good before he got there, to the championship uh, in the manner he did, uh, yeah, I, I don't know. There's not many players you can put on that level. It was an exceptional final series. I mean, to go to seven games and to just have some of the best players in the world as they are, LeBron, obviously, and Steph Curry on the Warriors. Did you get a look at it? Yeah, I got a chance to watch the series, and I mean, I I guess I was like most everyone else, didn't really give them much of a chance. I'm watching the West all year, all those teams were so much better than anyone in the East. Um, and you know, I I think um, you know they 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 had some good things happen in their favor. You know, mm-hmm. uh, Draymond Green getting kicked out and some other things uh, worked in his, their favor. But what what he was able to do, rally in that team. Um, Wow, I, I don't even I don't even know how you. I mean, it's amazing. He's one of those uh, you know once or twice in a lifetime players. Amazing. It's a privilege to watch him. And one person that uh, we're all excited about over in the states at the moment is, of course, Ben Simmons, the hot draft prospect uh, in the NBA. Yeah. He'll he'll start his career in uh, 2016, 17. What do you make of Ben Simmons' talent? Uh, ridiculous talent. I mean, very, very talented. You know, physically, he's, uh, you know, kind of a man-child. Um, you know, but I always tell, well, my kids growing up, I have three boys, so my kids growing up, I, always, I would always tell them, you know, the NBA is about 95% mental. You know, when you start off in high school, it's about 95% physical. You're just bigger, stronger, faster than everybody else. But then you get to college, and, it, you know, it starts to even out a little bit. There's a few guys that are big, as big and as fast as you but then you get to the NBA, and everybody is as big and as fast as you. So you know the difference becomes you know how much of a um, of a of a killer are you when it comes to you know attacking the rim and getting the loose ball and getting the rebound. Uh, and so you know the game changing so much for him coming into the NBA. You know his his size and his ability is still going to make a big difference. He's going to be a good player. 
But, you know, he, he showed at, uh, at LSU that he still has a ways to go on the mental side uh, and the leadership side. And that's just going to take time. He's just going to have to grow up into it. But he's certainly equipped to be a great player in the NBA. We can't wait to see what he can do, and, and we'll look forward. He's not going to be a part of the Australian Olympic team for Rio, but I'm sure he'll put on the green and gold later in his career. I wanted to talk about your Olympic experience because it was one of the immortal teams, particularly the first dream team in Barcelona in 1992. It must have been a phenomenal experience to be a part of that roster. Yeah, it really was. I mean, it was very humbling um, walking into that locker room, walking onto the practice floor every day, uh, you know, knowing that you were even selected to be uh, a part of such a, a collection of players, uh, and and practices were super intense. They were um, highly, highly competitive, and I mean, it made the games pale in comparison. There's a terrific book by Jack McCallum about the Dream Team, which I read recently, and you talk about the practices being intense. He talks about the greatest game nobody ever saw which was a scrimmage match between the Dream Team. And when you think mm. about the names in there, Jordan, Johnson, Bird, Robinson, Ewing, do you remember that game? And, and was it as tough as we're led to believe? Uh, it, well, yeah, every bit. I mean, but it was, um, you know, as a, as a player, it, was, it, it just felt so good to play with guys who understand every aspect of the game. And I, I think for all of us, we were kind of in basketball heaven a little bit. And, uh, you know, early in the practice, um, you know, guys didn't want to, um, you know, they didn't, they were, you know, everybody was being unselfish and, and passing and, you know, sharing the ball and everything. But then as the, as it came, went along, uh, it just got more intense. And I think Chuck Bailey did a phenomenal job of kind of just stepping back and letting us get into it. And, uh, and then you could see it, the magic just started to click. And, uh, and, uh, I think that the, uh, the competitive drive of all of us just kind of came out at the same time. It was, it was a blast. Do you think about this Olympiad, which does have some interesting issues around it? We see players, for example, concerned about the, the Zika virus health scare, putting yourself yeah. in their shoes. What do you think you would have done had that been an issue around the time you were part of the Olympic teams? You know, it's always easy to speculate. Um, I, I love the Olympics. I, I love the opportunity. You know, I, I would have gone to play, but... I, but you know that's I can understand people uh, being concerned, um, and I can understand um, you know just uh, looking towards your your future in the NBA and and uh, and you know potential revenues and all those sort of things. I can I can understand. Hey, I want to get my rest. I want to focus in for my team. There's a lot of reasons why a person might not want to play. But but you know being in the military, growing up the way I did, you know being such a, a you know, so sensitive to having USA written across my chest, I, I would have, I would have never passed. I mean, if somebody asked me, invited me to do something like that, um, I would have never passed that up. So um, that's just, that's just me, though. I grew up. My father was in the military, and you know, I went into the military, and, and so I, I'm very sensitive to wearing that, being proud of wearing that across my chest. My, I'd have to trust the, the organization to, to keep us safe. And what a team it was. We're talking to the Admiral, David Robinson, basketball legend. And David, you're in Australia working with some young prospects as part of the Basketball Without Borders camp. Sounds like a terrific yeah. opportunity for young Aussie players. Yeah, oh, absolutely. I mean, not just Aussie players, but, but uh, Asian players. I mean, there's a good collection of kids. You know, we had one, one of our uh, teams yesterday and some, some good teenage kids that, uh, that just want to you know, swallow up basketball skills so we got a chance to work 
you know, hand to hand, to hand with them. And, um, and, and I was being a part of that dream team, you, you know, watching the NBA basketball, I mean, you know, not just NBA, but basketball worldwide really kind of come together. I see the opportunities now that are out there for these kids. And, and so, you know, who knows what one little handshake or pat on the back or one little hug can make a difference for, for a few of these kids. And, and that's what we're hoping to do. And it really is a special opportunity. The likes of yourself involved. Uh, Patty Mills is part of it too, isn't he? Yeah, Patty's out here, and you know, Patty's just a tremendous guy. And I mean, he's he's been a part of a great team, but you, so so you know, he hasn't gotten necessarily the time or the attention that I think he deserves. He's a he's a tremendous player, and he's done a, a great job for for the Spurs. You know, maybe he hasn't had a chance to be the shining star that I think he could be on another team, but. He is uh, he's just a great representative of Australia uh, in the NBA. I'm sure as, uh, as a Spurs legend as you are, you're not too worried about the fact that he hasn't been given the opportunity elsewhere as of yet. You know, I, I think in your career, you have very few opportunities to be a part of a, of a winning team, of being a part of a great organization. And you, I, I don't think there's very many players that would pass up the opportunity to enjoy what he's been a part of and have this, the, the security and the you know, learning how to play this, the knowledge uh, that he's had. I don't think there's very many players that would pass that up for, for you know, individual stardom. No, no. And as just a lover of sports, the culture that you were involved in, in creating along with uh, Greg Popovich, Tim Duncan, of course, makes the Spurs one of the most impressive organisations in professional sports. No doubt about that. David Robinson, an absolute pleasure to talk to you on Triple M and I hope you have a fabulous time in Australia. Well, thanks. I really enjoyed it. Thank you. and fitness with Danny Green. We are talking to the great man a bit later than we usually would because he is in camp for a ring return. Greeny, tell the people about your next bout. <laughs> Morning, Seb. How are you, buddy? Yes, doing well, but you're pulling the gloves back on. Yeah, mate. I'm in uh, on August the 3rd over there at Highsheds Arena. I can't wait. So against local bloke, Kane Watts, who's the Australian Cruiserweight champion, Brian Armitruder. He's a promoter. He promotes uh, Kmart. He also has promoted Mundine's last couple of fights. And there's no secret that, uh, you know, there, there's something brewing there. And if, um, you know, he said to Brian, rang up and spoke to me and said, look, we've got Kmart, the Australian Cruiserweight champion. Do you want to see if we can uh, put a fight on together and, uh, and and see how it goes and see if we can, you know, get back in there? I thought, you know what, I need to, I need to fight again. And uh, I was supposed to fight December last year. Back off, buggered. But uh, more healed and, and, and ready, ready to rumble, and came once he's ten years younger than me, and uh, I've never had the Australian title, so it's a, a it's kind of a, an exciting one for me. And look, he's a younger guy; he's got nothing to lose, and uh, he's he's an up and coming fella, and he's a, he's a slugger. And by all accounts, he's a ripping bloke, and uh, you know he's got the opportunity, I guess, for him in boxing terms of a lifetime, because you know it's it's a big name on his repertoire for someone. You know, I've, I've had a lot of experience and, and won titles and fought some of the best. And, uh, and um, you know, for me, it's a, it's a matter of, I guess, at the age of 43, can I defeat this young bull? Well, Greeny, you say he's got nothing to lose. I'm looking at that saying he has got everything to gain. You hear there in the opener, your fight against Roy Jones Jr., the famous call, when you defeat a legend, you become a legend. Surely Watts is looking at this opportunity like that. Oh, without doubt, mate, yeah. yeah I, 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 
you know, it's hard for me to talk too much. You know, I can talk a lot about uh, a lot about myself, mate, and uh, it gets very boring because it's a fairly boring subject, Tim. But um, yeah, he's got a lot to a lot to gain. It's a massive thing to him. He's the underdog, and, and I've been in this position before where Kane's at uh, against Bayer, against Lucas. Pretty much all my fights, I was, I was a big underdog in against the champions. Roy Jones for Darcheck, um, Tarbell, these big name fighters, um, you know, that have, that have really had nothing to lose against, and, and I've defeated some of them, and I've lost against some of them. And Kane's got that when you have that nothing to lose attitude, it's very, very dangerous. That's what I'm facing against Watts. Greeny, I hope you're training hard because it's going to be a challenge, mate. We talk about health and fitness in this segment. And not all of us are going to be able to put together the sort of workouts that you do, but you need something to aspire to. So tell us, what does a typical day of training camp look for you? Oh, it varies, mate, especially my age, it varies. So today I'm pretty, pretty tired because I've had a fairly hard week. I'm, I'm <laughs> are you Saturday, yawning on the radio? Saturday, Saturday is, uh, is my hardest day, so I've got a really heavy sparring session today where I'll have two sparring partners that will go in against me. They'll go in, one will go, you know, maybe do five rounds, and the other will jump in fresh and do other five rounds against me. Uh, but a typical day, generally, I wake up, have breakfast, and then and I, it's either pad work, boxing work in the gym, either bad work, pad work, speedball, working on my skills, working on the tactics that I've got to use against Kane Watts to try and be victorious against him. We've got a game plan. So my trainer and myself, Angela Hyder, we've got a very good game plan, and we, we try and instill a game plan, and we do that every single training session leading up to the fight for, you know, eight weeks. Uh, a lot of road work, um, and obviously my diet, my nutrition is extremely important, which obviously I follow what I'm doing on the Team D Green program because it's enabled me to keep my weight down and, uh, and and maintain the weight that I need to be at. So it's uh, it's really difficult to know exactly what I do each day, uh, Seb, because each day changes depending on how I feel. Some days are very intense. Some days you back it off if I'm getting close to you know peaking or I'm getting a as I've got now, a bit of a bug, a bit of a cold. I'm starting to feel a bit down. The body's starting to go down a bit. Mate, get up. Come on. I'm going to pump you up. Get out of bed. Get on the road. Get some Ks into the legs. We'll get started. You going to come see us in studio come fight week? Oh, 100%, mate. I'll, uh, I'll be in Melbourne um, you know, pretty soon and, and, uh, and looking forward to getting over there. Come over there. I, I do base myself in Melbourne quite a bit for training and for the training camp. So I'm looking to get over to, to my second home away from home. It's, it's Melbourne. I love the place. Yep. And, uh, yeah, I'll be over there. I'll be over there pretty much within a week. The man who pushes the buttons for this program, known as the hyphen or, or golf bag, he was just telling me before the break that he'd be happy to be a sparring partner if you need somebody extra. I don't think he was doing that at all. Yeah, I think you were, Hyphen. You are saying you'd okay. be happy to stand well, there. Okay, can you do me a favour, Seb? Just give us his details. Yep. And we'll be in touch very soon. Yeah, that'd be great. Excellent. I'm glad we were able to. Is that okay, Hyphen? We'll, uh, we'll give Greeny your number. I'm going on a holiday. I may not come back. <laughs> You've scared him out of town, mate. Well, good to chat and uh, have a good day of trading. We'll speak to you next weekend. Legend, mate. If anyone wants to get tickets, it's on the they're on sale at Ticketmaster. Uh, they just go to the details and get all the, uh, all the website and get all the details there, Seb. The great Danny Green, Team Danny Green Fit, too. Check that out. It is a good program. Ready. A bounce. A right for Nada. The biggest high five you've ever seen in your life. Hey. Come on, mate. Follow me. Follow me to the bench. This is Brian Taylor. Looks like I'm the only one to win a Coleman <laughs> and be in a film. And this... Is Bristles missing? Take your flags, <laughs> stick them you know where. It sounds very painful, the end of that open up. Morning, BT. Uh, good morning, Seb. Is Cloakie back? Two goals for the Pies last night? Um, yeah, I think, he's, uh, I think he's okay. I think his enthusiasm's back. I think he played without a bit of enthusiasm earlier in the year. But 
I have always wanted him back in the side. I think he's probably a better long-term bet than Mason Cox anyway. Cox does five or six good things a game, and that's about all you're going to get out of him at the moment. I think You don't like the international prospects, Brian, let's be honest. Hey? You've never liked anyone who was born overseas playing AFL? No, no, I do. No, you I don't. Do. But, well, you tell me what else Cox uh, brings to the game then. He brings a little bit of uh, uh, something unique. He brings height no, and no, mobility. No, no, don't give me unique. <laughs> bring, uh, give me skills of the game. What does he bring? I saw him run through the middle of the MCG, take a bounce and kick a running goal at seven feet tall. It's pretty good. Adam. And almost, if you look at that bounce, almost lost it. It was one of the most awkward bounces of all time. I'm not saying he's no good, Seb. I'm just saying he only offers you five or six things. And those five or six things are Mark, 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 (laughs) Mark, or a Mark. (laughs) Right? Okay. The understanding of the game is not not there at the moment. And uh, that's why I always think that Travis is a better bet. Does Cloak, I mean, has he suffered by not having the proper decoy or, or second forward for the last few years? Basically, since you know the Chris Dawes left in what 2011-12. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Any of any of the good forward lines are, are, are a double uh, double doer. There's no doubt about that. You look at all of the good forward lines in the history of the game; they've all been doubles to take the pressure off each other. When one fires, the other doesn't, and vice versa. And when they both fire, you have a ripper game and. And, and it takes pressure off, as you say. So there's no doubt in my mind that everyone sort of would have looked at Chris Dawes and said, oh, well, he didn't really do much. No, he did. He, he, he was able to, do, as you say, take the pressure off by just stepping up every now and then. That's really important. As a Coleman medalist, you were clearly the P at Collingwood. Did you get a little bit filthy when some of the other forwards had a better day than you? Uh, yes, I did. <laughs> if, if anyone kicked more than me, it wasn't fair. <laughs> And it was sook time, and uh, you know it was annoying. And in fact, when the other full four at the other end of the ground kicked more than me, I thought, "What the hell?" Yeah, no, that doesn't why, work. Why? You know, why has Plugger kicked more than me? Mm. Well, I mean, he's a pretty good player, he, he but uh, play. you know, why has he kicked fourteen and I've kicked none and been dragged? Probably because I, you know, didn't chase, tackle, <laughs> harass, uh, or do what? The no, no, blame the midfield. Blame the midfield. It's all about <laughs> delivery. Yeah. So yeah, that's uh, that's annoying. That is annoying when you uh, when you do that. A little squeaky half forward flanker, you know, uh, Mick McGuan or someone comes along and kicks three or four, and you kick none. It's pretty embarrassing. It's not how it's supposed to work. Hey, just one quick one, Brian. Mid-season draft uh, trade period. I mean, mid-season trade between the teams. What do you reckon? I love it. Yeah. They do it in, they do it in America, and uh, and it doesn't mean we have to do it here. But I like the idea of it. You know, if someone gets an injury and their season's cruel. Like the Bulldogs were heading that way, for instance. They've yep. been able to recover slightly, but they were, hit, they were looking awful after a couple of bad injuries. Now, they could go and recruit if it was a Ruckman. Uh, no Ruckman. I even like the idea of, um, I know we wouldn't cop it here, but I like the idea of loans. So we will loan you or we will lease you a Ruckman for six months, you know? Um, and uh, certainly the drafting, the permanency of the drafting is, is, uh, is something I really like as well. You know, a good example of that probably would West Coast have let Sinclair go if Nat Nui, if they knew Nat Nui was going to get injured? Mm. I don't think they would have. Yeah. But I tell you what, they'd love to have another Ruckman there now. And uh, so, so I think it's a good thing. Very good. Good thing, for, good thing for players and a good thing for clubs. Have you finished touring the world? Costello? Oh, yeah. Look, I'm working on my next world tour. But, yes, got back uh, Wednesday after just uh, covering that NBA final series. It was uh, was uh, pretty enjoyable, BT. You love your basketball. What a historic series. Yeah, it was. It didn't go the way I thought it would be. Neither.
and uh, so that was pretty uh, average. I had the opportunity this week to catch up with Joe Ingalls and Paddy Mills. Good blokes. A little bit of one-on-one with them, uh, Seb, uh, down there at Hawthorne and a few other spots. And uh, they were excited about their uh, NBA careers. And um, and meeting you? Uh, yes, of course. Yep. I did, I did say to Paddy Mills, I thought <laughs> that Popovich used him poorly in the final series. Yep. Remember, they had a great year as well. Yes. And I said, Popovich used you poorly in the final series, I reckon. That was my opinion, Paddy. He looked at me, didn't say a word, mm. and sort of smiled. And I reckon Popovich looked old-fashioned uh, mm. this year, um, the way he used his uh, his uh, bench. But anyway, so that was that was all. So yes. nothing else been happening here, Seb. We've been working our uh, backsides off. Um, don't forget the Speedway. Uh, Speedway is coming to um, Etihad Stadium oh, around yes. the World Championships. You like the Speedway. They had punch-ons last time. They did. And you've got to get there and look at this. This is guys hurtling around corners at 90 miles an hour sideways. This is fantastic No breaks. No brakes, no gears. Nope. Right? Too dangerous to have either of those. So uh, they go around, and uh, it's all good, Seb. We've so lost it. I have the producers are screaming at me, Brian, because we have just completely forgotten we're on air, and we're just having a chat. Oh, okay. Well, we're not allowed to talk, or <laughs> I thought that's what we're supposed to do. <laughs> I enjoyed it. I liked it. See ya. See ya, BT. Bye. It is a very good morning to Nerily Meadows, whose football club got beaten by, what, seven or eight goals last night? It wasn't a great performance, let's be honest. It was a little bit like the Dockers of old, where we're just a little bit pathetic. But I really wanted to get out there and watch Matthew Pavlich, the former skipper of the club, play his last game at the MCG. It's the last opportunity I'll have to see him play live. And I wanted to do that, wanted to support him. And my brother's in town, so it was fun anyway. Your brother's a TV star. He is. A, well, he's going to be a TV star. It's very exciting. He's on a new show called The Wrong Girl, which is uh, filming at the moment, and it's an offspring-type Channel 10 mm. show, and it's going to be out later this year, and I'm very excited to what watch him. This, you know, Meadows, you're on, you know, have you been paying attention? He's on the drama just to take over the 10 network. Do you think you're the Murdoch family or something? Coming from you, where you've just been gallivanting <laughs> around the States, you'll go from this to go on Channel 9 and do your little spruiking, wow. and then you'll go somewhere else for the oh, day. Oh, come on. Now, you have been breaking a massive story this week. It was on AFL Tonight, the program you do uh, quite often on Fox Footy. It is, uh, and it revolved around the idea of a mid-season trade period in the AFL. Tell us about it. Well, I found out about this a, a little while ago, and um, and then all hell broke loose in the media this week, as we, as we discovered. Uh, and uh, I asked, you know... Went to, to Gil McLaughlin and, and said, would you be willing to talk about this? And uh, and he was happy to talk to me one-on-one uh, earlier this week and, and have a chat just about the prospect of a mid-season trade because he's a bit of a fan. Let's have a listen to Gil. It's it's one of many ideas that are being looked at, so it's something's being explored. So it's it's real enough that the discussion's happening with the clubs. If it happened, it'd, you know, I think it would probably come in next year, but it's, but it's one of many ideas being looked at. Big story that'll change list management in the AFL. One triple three five three. Do you like the idea of a mid-season trade period? And generally speaking, if a CEO says he likes something and it could come in as early as next year, it's happening. It's inevitable. I have to say I don't love it, Nez. 
I'm a traditionalist in these sort of things. I'm not a massive fan, but the example that Gillen used to me was when you've got St Kilda, for example, who have an abundance of ruck stocks at the moment, and then Port Adelaide, who were hit hard, obviously, with Paddy Ryder and then injuries. That would be a a good example of of perhaps can we do a deal here and and swap mid-season but then I've spoken to players as well, like Lee Montagna, who obviously does a lot for Triple M and, and Brian Lake. And, and their, their concerns are basically with the swapping of intel halfway through a season. Yeah. Also, the structures of an well, AFL How does this club. work, right? You come out with rules that say you can't swap coaches until the final series is over, but you're happy to send a player into a new environment where he knows everything about a potential finals opponent. Do you know what? I'm shocked right now mm. because you just made a very good point. Thank you. It's taken what? How long have we been doing this? A over year, a year? Over a year. Yes. And it's taken you until now to actually impress me with some sort of modicum of sporting Thank knowledge. Thank you. G'day, Brettles. Hey, Seb. How are you going? Mate, what do you reckon? Oh, I, I, I think it's got merit. I, I think, it, um, as generally said before about my own team, St Gilda, you know, if no one wanted Billy Long to be, you know, more, more than, you know, because we've already got um, guys like, well, our two ruckmen at the moment are doing very well. Hickey and, um, well, Pierce coming up. But I think for a backline, like, if we suddenly lost, well, we've lost you, Goddard, and then we suddenly lose Sam Fisher and maybe Gilbert Mallory can yeah, go to another team and say, well, okay, well, you could pick number nine for one of their um, better, well, you know, back when they're struggling to get a game at the current time. Wheeling and dealing. I like it. He's a bit of a trader there, Brettles. He's got it all worked out. Mate, uh, you've scored a golf and pie voucher from Eagle Ridge Golf Club. Hang on the line there, and Jakey will get your details. Dave, fire away. We got Dave there? Yeah, I'm here. Can you hear me? Absolutely, mate. What do you reckon? Mid-season well, trade. Don't mind it, um, but a couple of things. Well, there's probably only going to be about half a dozen trades, really, isn't there? Um, it's not going to be for every club and every one. Um, but what about someone like that Cam McCarthy in WA? You know, he, he missed out on the trade last November, training for a, a, a team over there, a, a suburban team or something. Does that give him an opportunity to get picked up by... A doctors or something? Yeah, and that is probably a good point because I think Leon Cameron, the coach of the GWS Giants, has already conceded now that it's unlikely they'll see McCarthy play again, even though he is contracted. So it, that and a situation like that could potentially be a good reason. And look, nobody wants to join us, uh, us being Freo as a key forward in the off-season. Maybe they'd like to mid-season. Yeah. You never know. Maybe when we'd won the first nine in a row last year, someone might have gone, oh, yeah, key forward might go over there. Join a club that lost its first eight games. <laughs> I was talking about last year. Right. I was trying to reminisce, Seb. I know we're crap again, okay? Yeah, they were good times. Let's go to Gavin <laughs> Melton. Mid-season trade, Gav. Yay or nay? Uh, G'day, Seb. Um, no, I think no, mate. I just think um, let all the guys, that, you know, clubs have us, um, on their list and let them come up and have a crack at playing in, um, you know, the big time if they haven't had a shot. That's you know my I mean? argument, Gav. If, you know, if Essendon has a mid-season trade, for example, do they uncover a, a Tipung Woody or these guys that are at the bottom of your list that get an opportunity when a player goes down? I mean, to think back to a to an old situation, I remember when Joe Mercedes got injured and a young fella by the name of Damien Peverell suddenly found himself on a senior list and you know, played, I think, over 100 games as a, as a hard-nosed midfielder. So opportunities are there if you manage your list right. Hey, uh, Gav... 
You've scored a golf and pie voucher too from the Eagle Ridge Golf Club, eagleridge.com.au. I'm a much bigger fan of the mid-season draft than I am of the mid-season trade. I think it has far less complications in it. If somebody's doing really well in the VFL, the waffle, you know, I think that provides more of a, a better opportunity that less intel being shared and all those sorts of things. And I think everyone uses the ruck example, and I feel like that's probably the one where it makes the most sense because there are ruckmen, Will Minson, for example, who could slot into a senior side pretty much anywhere in the league if they suddenly found themselves depleted of ruck stocks but isn't able to get a game at the Western Bulldogs. But I don't think, you know, say your Bob Murphy goes down as a Footscray fan, you're not going to be able to trade for a player to really fill his calibre anyway. No, but when you do get as many defenders go down as the doggies have, I mean, they've covered it really well, but yeah. they may not have. So potentially that is, you know, a situation where you look at it and you go, okay, these are all long-term injuries. We don't know how they're going to come back. Eastern Woods is dragging on and on. So, you know, it, it could be good to have some backup. I love my doggies. They're a good club. They're on the rise. I hope they do well this year. They don't love you. No, I well, I disagree. <laughs> I, I, I will take a poll on that. What do you got on this weekend? Uh, I'm off to the footy today, and then I've got AFL tonight, 10.30pm on Fox Footy, wrapping up another big day in footy. And tomorrow I've got the day off, which I'm very much looking forward to. Are you reading a book at the moment? No, I'm not. I've barely had time to read a book. Well, find something. Un- I'm unlike you, I haven't spent copious hours on an airplane going to different parts of the world to cover different amazing events. It's not easy. All that filtered air. Have a listen to my voice. Too much filtered air on airplanes. I've had enough of it. But Sadly, this... I'm sick of listening to your voice. Oh, please. It's like, uh, you know, it's like your favourite album. It gets better every time you listen to it, surely. <laughs> but no, this is actually quite a good book. It is. Uh, we spoke to David Robinson before. It's about the Dream Team. It's by Jack McCallum, and it tells you the story of that immortal side at the Barcelona Olympics. That's just my little tip for the weekend. What are you smirking at? I'm just sitting back and listening to you trying to do Spanish accents. Barcelona. Triple M's Weekend Breakfast with Seb Costello for Eagle Ridge. The golf and pie offer is back. EagleRidge.com.au